Once again, welcome to V'ger Please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. I'm Joseph. I'm Peter. And, uh, well, Peter, um, I don't know what you want to say. We're, uh, we're two for three? One for three? How's, how are you feeling on this, man? I feel new and improved. We took a trip up to Cleveland to go visit some family, and I had my wife trapped in the car and decided to finally make her listen to some of our earlier episodes just to get some some mean-spirited feedback from her because I knew she wouldn't hold back. So, I mean, if anything, Casey is uh, willing to tell you exactly how Oh, yeah. She so uh, we queue up uh, episode one, and as soon as I start talking, and she immediately just turns the radio off and says, I can't listen to this. We're getting you a new microphone. No more recording in glorious uh, Logitech 3D gaming headset. Now it's a it's a real microphone for me, complete with pop filter. So feeling pretty good on that. But I did listen to a fair amount of that first episode, and I saw you put some some very some very jazzy. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe that music or, or where you found it. You know what immediately reminded me of was uh the the next gen game that Spectrum Holobyte did for uh, Super Nintendo. Yeah, it's like an uprated eight bit music. I I, you know, you've got to search sometimes for uh, free podcast mm-hmm. music, uh, particularly something that has a little bit of a sci fi feel to it. And I found something that is free with attribution, and so you know, uh, we uh, uh, we are taking advantage of that. Um, unless we someday uh, come across a fan willing to uh, do us a favor, but yeah. Well, I've got I've got a request to that fan, or I might even do it myself if I come across an extra fifteen dollars. Uh, I think the perfect intro music for us would be the Voyager theme song, since it's pretty easy sheet music from what it looks like. But if someone were to do it like with one of those elementary school flute recorders. <laughs> And just a real bad. Yes. (laughs) So that might be my that might be my my project uh, for 2018. That's some personal growth. That's expanding your Mm -hmm. musical abilities and uh, really applying that towards an artistic endeavor that we're really engaged on here. I support that. I support that 100 percent. So uh, let's let's get into it, my friend. Oh, um, gosh. So we are now on season one, episode three. Time and again. Time and again. We liked the temporal plot so much from Parallax, we've decided we're going to hit that twice in a row. I didn't even arrive to that disgusting conclusion until probably page two of my furious notes on this one. Uh, whereas episode two was really good, I thought, and was making me doubt the forecasts and the ill feelings that I was having in in embarking on the trek through Voyager. Here comes episode three to really just kick me in the dick and remind me, hey, (laughs) this is not all going to be wine and tits. It's a nice little reminder that this show isn't the unloved child of the Star Trek universe for a reason. Uh, And that reason is failure to follow through. But uh, let's let's start with the promising part of the episode. That's that's the start. 
Um, this first, uh, this, uh, I guess you prologue scene, it made me love Tom Paris so much. It made me spiritually identify with him. Because what is Tom Paris trying to do in this prologue? He's trying to get off his shift and get out of work so he can grab his boy and, and head on a date. Yeah, so this bridge scene, uh, you know, he starts going on about the Delaney sisters and I believe uh, stellar cartography, which I thought it was interesting that, you know, you could be assigned to the same brand new vessel with your sister. But maybe the Delaney's got some uh, crazy admirals in their pocket. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things I really think I'm going to regret about going through Voyagers. I- I'm not going to get my my doctor recommended servings of crazy Starfleet admirals every other episode, but just for for people who um i guess don't know us personally because otherwise you wouldn't know what we mean by that but throughout every other star trek property all the admirals that you ever see whether it's in tng whether it's in ds9 um even when you're apparently getting into discovery as well they're all crazy in terms of like giving you contradictory orders to the to the main character or the captain. Yeah, like half the admirals are just recruited like straight out of mirror universe. Like, go start some shit over here and burn these people's houses down while the babies are in bed. You're like, uh, what? <laughs> I got stupid tinsel on my uniform. I'm in charge. So anyway, some admiral I think was behind putting the Delaney sisters onto Voyager, uh, probably after they tag-teamed him. And uh, much to, yeah, Tom Paris's delight, uh, they're showing some interest in him and potentially uh, Harry Kim. Well, I, what I love about the scene is that Tom is really on the, the case when it comes to, listen, we are 75 years away from the nearest group of humans. Uh, there is a limited amount of tail to go around on this ship. So it's act, act now. You know, it's 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 a it's a buyer's market, and we got to get in there. We gotta we gotta buy now. And he's he's really trying to impress this upon upon uh, uh, Harry Kim, and he's it reminds if if Voyager were USGIs fighting on the Western Front in World War II, Tom Paris is the guy who's like, hey, buddy, let's go and bang all these French broads before we get our bla- brain splattered across some fucking tree in the Ardennes. And Harry Kim's like, no, I got a sweetheart back at home. She you lives know, in Canada. Do. You wouldn't know her. <laughs> it's, you know. Yeah, Tom, Tom comes to grips very quickly with the fact that they are never going to see humanity again. And, and th- this scene was actually pretty good in, in putting it to terms like you are never going to see your loved ones again. And you need to make a new life out here in the Delta Quadrant as you try to, you know, keep some semblance of home. Uh, did you notice that Tom Paris said he had five girlfriends while he was in prison? Well, you know, uh, in the future, they're very liberal and a mop wig and some uh, some Kool-Aid rubbed on your lips like lipstick. You know, hey, you are what you want to be. I just I just assumed that he was referring to guards like he just mm. was able to charm all the lady guards. Mm. You know, Tom's got that bad boy charm. I don't doubt Maybe it. They have- was it a co-ed prison? I don't remember. I was so enraptured with uh, Janeway's glow when she came to pitch her terrible idea of picking a convict up to fly her spaceship. Oh, she hadn't deployed that planet to be her special advisor in a uniform that I, I don't look for the female population. So if uh, Kim and uh, Tom Paris was your favorite portion out of this front scene, I got to say my favorite scene 
or portion of it was so they hit like space turbulence right and did you notice like Janeway and Neelix just stumbling out with these little funny grins on their face out of her ready room yes they did like they were having some conversation we don't get to be a part of a conversation is that what you want to call it because it looks like uh Janeway's in there you know letting Neelix earn some quote-unquote brownie points by the look on her face hey no you're messing with my Tom Paris Catherine Janeway headcanon I'm not I think Neelix is moving in Neelix is earning his keep that's my hypothesis no she's you know i got only one resident in cougar town in my in my head cannon only one resident in cougar town uh speaking of that cougar town i also want to go and throw out there janeway's hair is huge in this scene her hair i I don't know if they're just trying out different styles or whatever but her hair just blooms out like the saucer scepter the saucer section of like a galaxy class it's it's very impressive for that scene yeah and it's also fake Clearly fake. My wife called out immediately, like, what is with these extensions they're putting in her hair? Like, what the hell? It was yeah. particularly noticeable later, but we'll get into that. But uh, as you mentioned, there's some some space turbulence. Um, there's some kind of explosion that's happened uh, that they've picked up on. And uh, the, the, the Voyager steams off to investigate, uh, like the intrepid explorers that they are. And they roll up to a planet that looks grim. It's gray. It's it does not look good from orbit. Well, before they even have a chance to check that planet out, you know everything I said about Kess in episode one, mm-hmm. uh, I take back. <laughs> you didn't like her having she, uh, disturbance in the force moments. Uh, if that's what you want to call it, man, like right off the bat, we're not even forty seconds into the episode, and she has already stepped on my my fun like i feel like they're they're turning her already into the worst troy moments possible waking up in space bed with silk space sheets with that gas like oh, 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 oh. yes okay something bad happened clearly you're going to be the new telepath in town and you're going to be over emotional and cry this whole episode I, I i saw it like just plain as day on her face right off the bat i think she uh she gets one good scene out of it later, and not not too much later than than this. Uh, my main problem with the episode is her too, particularly how the writers use her later. I'm, I'm with you. They decide that they're gonna go beam down to this this gray hulk of a planet after they ascertain that there was a civilization there, but there's nothing living on the surface anymore. So something has happened. Can we have a security concern moment? Uh, there you are out in the Delta Quadrant. You got to get home. You come across, uh, let's call it Disaster Planet, where some bad shit has gone down and potentially there's a lot of death. And uh, you're just going to beam down. Like, there's nothing to see here, guys. Keep going. Sure as fuck, don't go to the surface where there might be like zombies or some infectious plague or God knows what that you can't fix and only stand to lose here. This is like a a zero-sum gain opportunity for you. Not to mention that they break Starfleet operations rule number one and the captain is in the away team. You know, Dude. The, that thing that's always such a huge fucking deal in TNG. You are jumping down to my list like something I got like super circled. B- before we get there, because I want to I want to talk about that. But uh, even up on the bridge, like you ever you notice like Tuvox, the one that's going like super heavy on like reporting sensor data and all that stuff instead of Kim over on ops. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I know. I figure it's part of wanting to to spread the dialogue around. Yeah, they do that on TNG as well. You'll you'll see Worf uh, report on sensor data instead of data uh, sometimes and that sort of thing. But when they beam down to the surface of this misery planet, what would I say? Disaster planet. Yeah, disaster planet. What a disaster planet that, by the way, uses all of the blue light uh, spotlights that they used in Terminator Two. Evidently, when they were beaming down and they showed the planet's surface, did did it remind you of anything? Mm, not off the top of my head, but you're I'm sure about to remind me. For my money, that place was a dead ringer for a zombie apocalypse, abandoned mire. Do you have mires in Cincy? Um. Th- <laughs> Uh, no, well, actually, actually, take that back. We do, but I think there's only we've only got a couple. We're we're more of a Kroger town since they're based, you know, their headquarters is here. We got a couple of Myers. Myers is like a big, uh, it's like a slightly classier version of Walmart, and they've got these big, bubbly, curved windows in the front. And I don't know if you can just do a Google search and try and see what one of these things look like, but it's if you took a picture of a Meyer and then you put like some Facebook zombie dead filter on it. That's what Hazard Planet looks like. I appreciate that apparently it's perpetually in night in need of being illuminated by the T2 blue lights. Yeah. Even though it was just an explosion. Not even an explosion. That's kind of special space eradication that wouldn't prevent sunlight from coming down, but all of the scenes on the We are dealing with a Romulan-grade superweapon death planet here. The, the Scooby Squad goes down to the planet. It's got the captain. Uh, it's got Torres and Tuvok and Paris. Chief engineer, chief of security, and the helmsman. You've got like three quarters of the bridge crew up there, right? Right. Zero expendable crew. It's all it's all senior officers. It's ridiculous. And I've, I've got that right there. Captain, security, helm engineer, no science. You're going down on an exploration mission. You have no science officer. And then in case there's any, you know, doubt in your mind, like, well, it's a dead planet. What's the worst that can happen? I want to point out when they beam to the surface, tuvok has got his phaser pulled out and ready to go. In Star Trek, they're very picky about when they tr- teleport in. I'm sorry, when they transport in with phasers out. So him having that shit out tells you right now they're expecting something terrible to potentially be down there and they're bringing the fucking captain. And this is episode three, mind you. So if the Starfleet captain is on hazard planet surface, who's in charge of Voyager? Golly gee willikers, it's the second in command who in this case is a is a terrorist. <laughs> I, 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 one of the things I liked about the episode, however, is how they place in the tension, but still shouldn't have happened. They all beam down. Wait, wait, wait. Before we don't, don't move away from this because I just had a thought cross my mind. You are Chakotay. You are the Maki terrorist leader. Your boss, who is the bounty hunter sent out to capture you, decides she wants to beam down to Hazard Planet. Accompanying her is Tuvok, the double agent who sold you up shit's crick without a paddle and betrayed your trust. Uh, and also that white guy you hate, Tom Paris, who's like throwing all these Native American slurs at you and also <laughs> stabs you in the back. The only saving grace, I think, to Chicote not just like smiling to himself and steering and driving off was the fact that Torres went down there and even she like was pissing him off pretty heavy last episode. So 
Chakotay's a big pussy is what I'm saying <laughs> for sticking around. I mean, it would have been something if he had just waited until they all beamed down and then, like, opened a communication channel to Paris and it was, all right, now upchuck this. Yeah. Now I'm an eagle yeah. flying away with your fucking ship. I got the Delaney sisters, bitch. <laughs> uh, so they're they're down there. And, uh, yet another abandoned mall. Let's call it for what it is. It's an abandoned mall again. This time, it's not an abandoned mall. They're actually shooting this at the same outdoor shoot area where they do – it's this tr- water treatment facility in L.A. that also is doubled as Starfleet Academy, apparently. Yeah. I, so, I figured that was a water treatment. But but this little town, town square they beam into looks like another abandoned shopping mall to me. But Everything in L.A. looks like a fucking abandoned shopping mall. But <laughs> – I mean that's that's the real talk, but they uh, they get down there, and they, we get a little bit of expository dialogue about what happened, and they they get this reading for polaric energy, and Janeway and Tuvok lay down some some knowledge, saying, yeah, this stuff is so dangerous. The Romulans tried to fuck with it and accidentally exploded themselves, and now there's a test ban treaty. So this is some shit so dangerous. Even the Romulans are like, mm, nah. When you got the the treacherous Romulans back putting off something, um, you, you, now you're cooking with butter. And we get a little little bit of a. At this point, I was okay with the episode because they're you're getting some sort of sense of what's going on that they you know they were sitting on this this planet-wide atom bomb that could go off at any time because it's this unstable energy source. And they're looking kind of grim. And everyone's fucking dead. And they're treating it with this gravity. And I was like, yeah. all right, so far, so good. I couldn't, didn't care for the whole Kess disturbance in the force moment because it was really cliche. But this is the part where they jump off and they make every wrong decision afterwards. Tom's looking around and he finds a clock. It looks like a bomb, frankly. An alien clock. And when he grabs it, all of a sudden his vision shifts and he's seeing the same place but obviously at a different time because everyone's alive and the sun is shining. And they do a little bit of Scooby Squad investigating after he explains what happens. And they say that, well, this giant fucking explosion that happened of this polaric energy has created fractures in the space-time continuum such that... Tom sort of sort of fell into one and therefore was time traveling to a prior moment. And Janeway tells everyone, all right, don't move. We gotta get the fuck out of here. It's it's floating shards of subspace, and Joe, can I make a confession? Go ahead. I've been watching Star Trek since I don't know, fourth grade, maybe third grade. I if if you sat me down with a pen and paper and said Describe what subspace is. I, I don't think I could tell you. I don't know. Yeah. Honestly, I, I, I have no fucking clue. I'm a diehard trucker. I have no fucking idea what subspace really is, other than you know what they send communications to and from Starfleet along. And nowhere in that that internet version of subspace have I ever heard uh, that you can have floating shards of yesterday <laughs> that if they come into contact with your skin are going to teleport you back in time here's my fucking problem okay you knew there was this this radiation of these polaric energy before you fucking beam down if you know that this shit is this dangerous that an explosion like this could 
you know, break the space-time continuum and you can get sucked into a vortex of, you know, getting explodified? Why the fuck are you down there? Why did you all just roll down there for no fucking reason? It's it's what I was bitching about before, man. It's just it's a ridiculous premise. While this is happening, Kess has this scene. Oh, God. She goes into overdrive. In my my notes, I say Kess Troy Overload. The scene itself, if you take it independently, she really acts her ass off, really going whole hog at all this emotion and seeing this horrible shit. Except it's really contrasted with the scene from before when it happened where she's like, oh, if something happened, I felt a disturbance. I have to see it. And now here we are later and now you're like all broken up like, I saw it, I saw that I will die. It was so, so terrible. Like, well, which is it? Was it? A disturbance in the force like your Obi-Wan or is it that you saw a billion people die in front of you and now you have PTSD? Pick one. These are just the Troy feels she's getting here. You know, they they present this character. I thought she was pretty strong in the first episode. Uh, she almost comes off as like this, this righteous paladin who is willing to fight the system, do what's right, hold people morally accountable and try and persuade them. Uh, and in this one, she just comes off like a complete sissy who is a victim of her own emotions. Um, again, I continue to feel like she's being shoehorned into this episode. And I want to go ahead and point out, too, like right off the bat, when she shows up on the bridge, like, oh, gosh, my feels, I, I detected something. Again, her and Neelix just seem to have this unlimited and unwarranted access to every sensitive part of the ship. Like Kess just rolling onto the bridge. No big deal. Later on in the episode, her and Neelix just bust into fucking main engineering like, hey, dudes, what's up? They, there seems to be very a little opsec, I guess, yeah. is is what the phrase is. They There's none of that happening internally. I mean, and these two are the least of their concern, in my opinion, because they have known terrorists yeah. all up in this. Not just the ones they've decided to empower, but, you know, the the jabronis, the seskas, if you will, who are rolling around, not just having unbridled access to the ship, but actually having to do things on it, having jobs that are probably critical. You don't see any precautions that have been taken while, at the very least, you get used to trusting these people. No, none of that. So Kess is over there crying about her feels. We get a pretty good uh, scene in with the doctor where she's... You know, they, they woke his ass up to come look at her and he starts flipping out justifiably that he doesn't know why their files aren't in the ship's records. And then uh, he seems to have some common sense concerns that there's Maquis terrorists that are part of the crew as well. I, I loved his absolute annoyance that no one tells him shit, but that, that nobody has bothered to inform him that there are two previously unencountered aliens on the ship. And on top of that, there's a, probably a couple dozen new dudes in the ship uh, that, you know, they could have brought space aids. They did bring space aids, man. One of those crew members who was undocumented, Balana Taurus, straight up had space syphilis when they came up off of uh, Ocampa Mall World. <laughs> You're right. The, the, the apparently cured uh, a space syphilis from the Ocampa land What's- that... Never gets mentioned ever again. Let's, let's let's go real deep in the nerd super Star Trek forest here uh, and look at this. In that episode one, they get speamed back up with, with space syphilis. In this scene, we find out that the doctor, the only doctor on the fucking ship, the hologram, 
has no idea that uh, there's new crew members. That means he never, ever saw Bellana Torres. She went completely untreated, 100%. They just beamed her ass over, and that was it. <laughs> Don't even don't don't even talk to the fucking doctor. Just go ahead and uh, be chief engineer now, and please don't rub your your goopy syphilis on anybody. It, it is striking how they just ignored that whole disease subplot from the pilot. I mean, they, they just ignored it. Edward, they're just like, eh, fuck it. We're just not gonna bother to solve this. I'll tell you what I can't ignore though. Uh, Robert Picardo, man, his his cross eyed. Like they had to fix it later in the episode, but just every time I see him, man, like. I'm trying to pick which eye I want to follow. Ben, you are better at detecting that. I really looked for it this time. I didn't. I just. How do you not see it? Eh, whatever. Man. I'm just a terrible person, and I'm 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 a I don't know. I'm a terrible person, I guess. But uh, yeah, so you know, there's Kess crying about it, and I like how he's just like. I, I felt in the place of the doctor where he's like, yeah, look, you know, uh, you have unusual mental ability, which, <laughs> aka telepathy, uh, not a big deal. Obviously, you're going to turn into some Super Saiyan telepath thing, and we're foreshadowing this like a fucking frying pan over the head. Let's just get it over, go home and drink some fluids, and leave me the fuck alone. I I, I, uh, I appreciated his growing attempts to have a personality of like give a little like quip as he gets turned off. You know, you can tell he's starting to experiment with his new role. As a semi-sentient sort of construct, I thought that was yeah. I was played. But anyway, we, we sort of breezed over <laughs> that on the surface, uh, one of these little subspace fractures passes over where where Captain Janeway and 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 Tom were standing, and while Tuvok and Bolana got lifted back up to the ship, suddenly they are on this planet, but obviously in the past because everyone's alive. And the first thing you notice when you are Ugh. on this planet and you see the residents of this planet is that apparently the people of this planet all wear... Dressed like assholes. <laughs> they all seem to wear, like, discounted... Corset. Discounted Kwanzaa shirts uh, from, like, a from from a rejected family dollar bargain bin. Uh, that seemed to tie up like a corset. They've got, yeah. they've got these weird tricolor Kwanzaa-esque color pattern is the best way I can describe it. That tie well, up. Let me tell you what I wrote. Let me, let me tell you what I wrote down. I said that these are the most half-ass aliens ever. These uh, whatever, I don't even know if they even said what race they are, but they are one-for-one one regular humans no ridges on the nose, no tips on the ear, no weird face paint. They are just regular human and what I called Nickelodeon clothing. <laughs> I mean, they're they're not even half-assed. They're quarter-assed. They're all just white humans. There's not a there's not a single drop of melanin anywhere, which is incredibly uh, fortunate for those for for Chainway in Paris. I didn't see any. They literally landed in in apparently a planet full of pasty white folk. That wear, with a lot of blondes, where that wear a shit ton of crappy woolen, like tricolor tie-on shirts. It's the fucking weirdest thing. You're wrong. There are black people on the planet because they were participating in the riot that you see later on. Oh, so that's, right. uh, that's a very, it's a very 
poor representation for um, diversity on this planet. That's right. When, when uh, they had this, they have the scene where there's you know criminal action happening. They had to make sure to bring him in. That's really spot on job by the Voyager production crew. While we're dragging on uh, costumes here, real quick, something really struck me as I'm watching the Starfleet guys walking around. They all got their phasers like. If you're right-handed, their phasers are hanging off their left hip. It's like a cross-draw style. Yeah. And I was, I don't know, I was thinking about how bad it is to have cross-draw. It really invites, you know, strangers to pull your phaser off and start shooting around. I just, I drew this uh, this association. Those cross-draw phasers, the camera angles, they kept going low. The, the handle of those Viper phasers, those Type 2s, it looks like dildos hanging off the front of them. <laughs> I did notice as well that they shot like their interact initial interactions with everybody on the planet very low. So you kind of had this prominent, yeah. the, the prominent hip placement of the phaser. Just my eye I'm was telling onto you, it as well. I didn't, it just shoves off like this big black and silver dildo, the tricorder pouch. I can't break the mental connection. Now it looks like a fanny pack on the front of them. I'm wondering if they like keep like jelly beans in there when the, when the tricorder's out, you just got this big box hanging off you. I didn't. I didn't um, get the the vibrator vibe just because I'm so used to seeing the Type Two phaser at this point. But I think it was more prominent because uh, Kate Mulgrew is kind of smaller as a person, mm. both height. Mm. She's just kind of the props looked bigger on her, and therefore seemed more prominent because she was front and center in the shot. I, that was my my thought when I was seeing it. They do they do a little expert. Uh, CYA once they realize what's happened um, to explain, you know, we're visitors from this this place you just mentioned. That's us. Your clothes are weird. That's what's in fashion now. All right, let's get through this fucking conversation, figure out what the hell's going on. And The hobo cop coming along. I thought the cop looked especially homeless because like all the police or guards or whatever they are, they have like this extra, I don't know, skiers wear them. They look like these big earmuffs that wrap around behind your head. Every what every costume we saw in this episode, Zero every out of prop 10. we've seen, fucking terrible. The worst. Tom manages to BS his way into an explanation of the timepiece, uh, and he comes to the conclusion this planet's going to explode sometime tomorrow, based on the version of the clock I saw before we fell into uh, uh, whatever fucking tiny little space chart uh, got us. Uh, on the planet, so we bet we best figure out what to do. Otherwise, do you ever uh, do you ever say where the universal translators are located? No, I've never. I know they make a point of talking about installing them at one point in a future episode, um, but I don't know if that uh, is universally where they're located. Like they get an implant in their head or something. Yeah, I don't want to spoil the episode where it happens, but they they essentially they encounter people that need universal translators and you see them kind of be put in, but it's very vague what exactly happened with it. Hmm. Huh. So yeah, they, uh, they talk to the hobo cop. Everybody shows off their terrible corsets. I really like your, uh, your description of Kwanzaa shirt. I think I'm going to use that in light of Nickelodeon clothes. Uh, my wife was quick to point out just how it's like Renaissance festival potato sacks tied together. It's just fucking stupid. And it's about this time where they start, you know, we go back up to Voyager and they're having a um, remaining bridge crew meeting and they start 
laying out the table of how could this could possibly happen and confirm that, yes, the captain and Paris have somehow stumbled back in time through a subspace shard. And at this point, I'm leaning back just like, what the, this is, this is two consecutive time travel episodes. And it's basically the same predicament in both. Ultimately, in a spoiler alert, the effect precedes the cause. That that's the, the conundrum in both yes. episodes. They, I mean, it, it's ridiculous, and I feel bad for uh, for the viewers. Kim and Balana. Well, yeah, Kim and Balana get relegated to exposition theater, the driest fucking stupid dialogue for this entire episode. All they get is is techno babble. Every scene they're in, all they're delivering is techno babble. And unlike in the prior episode where the techno babble served to fill out our understanding of who the characters were, particularly Bolana and Captain Janeway, yeah. in this episode, it's just fucking filler. It's just pointless time wasting to explain what's happening hey, for the sake of explaining. Were you here a week ago? Do you remember that contrived ass plot that was still pretty good because we had some neat stuff going on well here's another just like you said effect preceding cause uh debacle only this time with terrible costumes and prime um public utilities scenery they 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 lay out what the solution to the problem is and yet again it's to widen a fracture to drag the crew to safety it's I almost don't care. Like, uh, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's so much technobabble in this episode. Every fucking scene that we have in the quote-unquote future from this point forward is basically just endless bullshit that they invented to have these people saying things and doing things that seem science fiction yeah. It doesn't do anything except serve to solve the plot issue. It doesn't tell you anything about the characters. It doesn't do anything to to further like any kind of interesting idea. It's just the thing happened. Here is us trying to fix the thing. There's no passion in it. There's it's just resuscitation of lies. The only bit it's garbage. And the only thing I want to mention about it, you get some tension between Tuvok and Chakotay that is actually pretty good. And it's the only non-technobabble shit the rest of the crew gets to do for the whole rest of the episode where Tuvok is pushing back against Chakotay because he's actually kind of doing this by intuition. He's really he, Chakotay is kind of bringing in Kess when she starts inserting oh, herself again. Yeah. In the search. Uh, Kess just walking into the, you know, senior staff meetings, bridge meetings, uh, you know, the fucking engineering bay, just some random space child they picked up. Who's got like half an iota of telepathy. Like, Chakotay really is just grabbing at straws. And Tuvok's like, look, these people are gone. Let's get the fuck out of here. Or at the very least is is advocating for we have to approach this from a logical problem-solving, evidence-based position. Whereas Chakotay's like, meh, feels. Yeah. Let's go mm -hmm. with that. I appreciate it. They tried to take a moment to, to con contrast that. But unfortunately, it's in service to a bunch of bullshit filler that is boring and sucks. The rest of the episode that has at least something going on in it is Janeway and Paris dealing with being in the past. She They've changed into some local Kwanzaa gear. Janeway's put her hair extensions yeah. down. And she's starting to explain 
to Tom, like, no, we can't tell them that no. their shit's going to blow. Because Tom's like, hey, well, all right, let's fucking tell them. Let's get on the fucking 5 o'clock news. Y'all, y'all, y'all's planet's going to explode. All of you are going to die. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Do not do whatever the fuck you're going to do tomorrow because you're going to die. And and Janeway's like, no, that would break the prime directive. We we have to let this happen. Could not stand that scene. That was such a fucking pile of shit to try and sit there and, and jam on uh, the audience's ears as she really tries to preach from a position of authority that prime directive is uh, not only applicable here, but that she is going to follow it. After that bullshit she pulled on caretaker space station, like she has zero prime directive credibility left. The whole uh, we can't interfere and um, you know, life has to play out on its own when she inserted herself like 12 feet up the Ocampas and, and the Kmart Klingons situation. And then she's going to turn around now and start trying to preach. I, fucking Paris should have just knocked her the fuck out. I was about to say the exact same thing. Janeway's speech and perfect. If it had been buttressed by Paris saying, then why the fuck are we here in the first place? Because we should have just gone home and let this whole sector fight it out with the caretakers array. But you obviously don't really believe in this whole prime directive shit. So why don't we break that rule again and make sure this planet doesn't die? Because you were all keen to break it to save the fucking Ocampa. Why aren't you keen to, 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 to save the Kwanzaa people? What the fuck is yeah. the difference? A handful of space fruit flies who can't exist without, you know, someone feeding them energy and wiping their own asses but an entire planet of people who seem happy and peaceful minus these hobo security guards with their uh, multicolor honeycomb badges and space nightsticks. Uh, and and you're, 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 you're fine to let them die and us along with them. Fuck you. But instead, of course, what happens is we get another fucking – I mean there's another 35 minutes of this episode from this point that is just – the most inane, predictable crap. You know, they try and fit in. They get caught up in something. The thing they get caught up in, guess what? This is the thing that's going to explodify the planet. Janeway comes to the conclusion that their presence is the time paradox. Or rather, the effect preceded the cause. Blah, blah, blah. You're skipping over a lot of stuff here. Uh Mainly that there is a child on the surface of this planet who is a total bitch. <laughs> I hate child actors, and this kid just comes out of the gate wanting to be strangled. And, and I think if there's anybody I've ever seen that needs to be blown up by a Romulan forbidden power source explosion thing, it's this fucking kid. I do like that. They try to give him some personality of like his kid, his dad is a um, investigative reporter, reporter. Yeah. you know, and that's the reason why he's hot on the trail. He's gonna get oh, the scoop, yeah. but it's just done in. The, he's just a terrible child actor, and so he's it, trying to out him. And uh, somewhere along the way, uh, oh, they go to investigate the source of uh, what's going to cause this problem, and we get treated to what I can call the weakest fucking riot I've ever seen any sort of motion picture or television media. I mean, it's, it's just rabble, rabble, rabble. Grr, we're angry. I would like to know 
how they describe to these uh, television extras who are dressed up like human candy corns. That was the other. <laughs> that was the other description my wife came up with uh, for these costumes. She's like, they look like candy corns, and I was like, that's amazingly astute. That's a lot of yellow and orange in this uh, this color palette. But uh, when they come up on the riot, they're already in the middle of like the bad looking security guys in corsets punching back the the candy corn corset people, and it's just the stiffest blocking. And then the one guy pulls out what looks like a paintball gun and starts shooting in the air to try and disperse the crowd. Janeway and Paris just try and like beeline it right at the guard who's shooting the gun. And I'm like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, you see, this is a bad scene. What what, what do you think is going to happen when this guy starts shooting this gun off? And uh, I really enjoyed how how herky jerky Janeway getting beat upside the head with that future club. And then, of course, Paris, you know, avenging his his captain's well-deserved ass beating with some <laughs> Kirk grade double axe handling to the stomach and face. I mean, it's always good to see that classic Trek fighting in Paris bro- breaking out, as you noted, the, the double, the double fisted, uh, double axe uh, handle uh, slams, uh, always a delight. He gets fucking knocked straight upside her head and it was pretty glorious. And then somehow they just turn around and end up in, uh, in another terrorist den. They do, and they get this dialogue where they're first trying to sell their bullshit story, explain that they're not a threat, they're not involved, but obviously because they have no fucking idea where they are, who they're dealing with, uh, it falls apart very easily um, with the linchpin coming, of course, when the kid shows up. First of all, I want to go ahead and give uh, mad props to Tom Paris, the helmsman who had been voluntold that he was going to get into uh, first aid training school under the doctor's tutelage, and it was him. Right there, episode three, breaking out some first aid on Janeway's uh, fresh head wounds. And then, yeah, so so these terrorists, they start grilling them. The lead terrorist, his blonde wig, I haven't seen anything that bad since probably Batman Returns 2 when they got uh, Max Shrek. Um, oh, gosh, what was it? Christopher Walken. Yes. Oh, God. This guy's got like Christopher Walken hair. And they start trying to yeah, lay on, the, you know, their their story about being from Kalto. And I remember it's Kalto because wasn't Kalto a big deal in Knights of the Old Republic? Uh, Kalto, I believe, in Knights of the Old Republic is the uh, the healing gel. Bacta. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's the, the, Bacta. the precursor to Bacta. That is correct. So they keep talking about that, and I keep thinking of whatever that – was that Malachor Four that blows up? Mm. Ah. Whatever. Yes, it is. That's the planet that's all fucking uh, broken that's, up at the end of uh, Nice Year Old Republic 2. Yeah, that, that's like Kalto Centro. So that's that's where I'm thinking they've got uh, – they're getting all this from. So they try and like lay this uh, – like, oh, hey, here's this pretty well-developed lie we've been running at this point. And they're like, no, uh, you're lying because we've got Polaric screeners. Yeah, that's right, stupid, weird government spies. We've got radiation sensors that, you know – Unless you were in the power plant, you would have had to have been from a massive Polaric disaster. And that's when Janeway tries to tell them, okay, you got us. We're from, we're space travelers from the future. Like that's their next best option in terms of what to do. Paris is looking at her like, uh, we're what? Like, didn't you just give me some weak ass speech about how much you care about the prime directive and all this other shit? And now you're just completely playing that fucking card out of desperation here. Like I said before, I've, I've got no passion for any of this middle part of the episode because it's just the most predictable fucking bullshit because we just watched this episode. We just watched it. 
It's the same shit as before. That what we what is about to happen is what causes what has already happened. And so, of course, Janeway has figured out that their presence has moved up the terrorist timetable to do whatever the fuck they're going to do. So guess what? They're going to do it at the exact time that they know that the planet explodes. Yeah. I've got, uh, you know, the only real things I have of note from this whole segment of the episode was uh, one nice purses, you bitches. In addition to dressing in corsets, looking like candy corns, everybody on this uh, planet also has a purse. That stood out to me. And then also, uh, back up on the ship, yeah, Kess weaseling her way in. And Chakotay just more and more humoring her her crazy intuition. Yeah, she's um, he is super into whatever she's bringing to the table. Like, he's like, yeah, 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 whatever, Technobabble guys. But let me in on this weirdo uh, lady in the bad page boy haircut wig uh, saying that she has, you know, special – mind feelings this is this seems like the way to go in the 26th century or 24th century her wig continues to look like shit i will say the costume that they had her and actually looked really cool that blue dress was neat yeah like that's the first time i thought they've really like brought out some like future clothes that look cool but yeah shakota is just totally fucking uh, drinking deep off the cast kool-aid on this i think if tuvok really wanted to try and get any of his input heard, he'd have to like bust out a Luigi board and be like, Chakotay, look, man, this, uh, my dead <laughs> grandmother, she's saying, <laughs> she's saying we need to stay the fuck off this planet. He keeps pushing back in every scene that he has the opportunity to. And I kind of appreciate, like you start to see how Tuvok operates and how the Vulcan mindset applies to security, but it just serves as basically to belittle him because he's wrong we, and the audience knows he's wrong because yeah. the, the feels lady is who's right. And so it just makes Tuvok seem like a stupid chump, which I'm not sure is the intended effect. It's like Kess is just uh, – she read the script and she's metagaming. And yeah. Tuvok's just trying to play you know the game the way it's supposed to be and not cheat. And nobody wants to listen. I did like the conversation that Paris had with the kid. When he's kind of trying to process the idea that, you know, this kid's going to just be dead. Saying sorry to him. Yeah. In, in, a, in an episode that otherwise is really uh, defined by its its flaws. Blandness. And, and blandness. Um, everything with Tom Paris in this episode was what Lots of personality. Yeah. yeah. You, 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 I, you notice that everyone calls him Tom. Uh, well, not everyone. Uh, most of the other characters call him Tom, uh, particularly Janeway and Bellana. They don't call him Lieutenant Paris. Even yeah. before they wind up in the past, it's it's Tom. He's got a real casual attitude. It's he's obviously got a very infectious personality. He's he's the good times guy. He's got a lot of he's got his heart on his sleeve. His first impulse when they're in past is, all right, let's save all these people's lives. Let's fucking tell them that's what matters feels for the fact this kid's gonna die and he doesn't even know it and i love it i like that they're giving him some some really unique personality very different than the kind of starfleet characters we've seen in the past yeah so the terrorists they got everybody jammed up in this room uh janeway starts laying out that you know they're from space and the future and there's going to be a problem these uh shit terrorists aren't buying it the one the terrorist leader he seems like a pretty chaotic good type guy but like his second in command or whatever you want to call that other guy just an annoying prick that's like just 
trying to catch people in these little gotcha bitch moments nonstop. Um, but the room that they're talking in, uh, Starfleet guys end up beaming down in that, you know, a day later where it's uh, bombed out uh, Deathville. And uh, what I thought was pretty cool is they actually end up locating the comm badges from uh, from uh, Janeway and Paris, which are mutilated from the explosion that took place on the surface. And I thought you kind of got some pretty cool uh, Starfleet technology background there where Kim states that, you know, these two badges that look melted, uh, when a comm badge is heavily destroyed, it puts off emergency distress beacons so uh, uh, emergency rescue crews can find bodies. That makes perfect sense. I do like that Tuvok says this doesn't mean they're actually dead. It just means their their combat just destroyed. So your supposition and assumption is not helpful. Um, it's probably the only helpful moment he has. But you know we see them try to open up this little time space sphincter. You know with this little techno babble device. I thought the prop looked pretty cool on that. They narrowly missed finding him before the commercial break. The clear commercial <laughs> break, you know, that goes to Act Three, yeah. um, and and Janeway lays out to Paris while they're they start the next act and they're walking towards the uh, the the power plant that you know their their presence is what's caused the planet to explode um, because otherwise this wouldn't be happening if they weren't there. For the second time, scientist Janeway has to explain to old stupid Tom that, you know, the effect preceded the, uh, you know, causation. Again, just, just a complete throwback to the last episode. Before they moved out of that uh, that terrorist headquarters scene, though, I did like when uh, they put her phaser up on the table and they're like, oh, this is your surveying tool because you're going to go buy some land. Show me how to work it. And Janeway gets like that smug look on her face. And before she can grab it, the guy's like, oh, unless this is a weapon, then I don't want you. And like the look of sheer horror and terror on her face, I'm like, Janeway's got zero poker face. She does. She gave the game away. She went right for the the for the gat and then gave it away. Just a look of horror. She's like, oh, my God, you saw through my lie. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe good at astrometrics or whatever, but definitely do not take her to your uh, Texas Hold'em game. But yeah, that, that first attempt that they made to rescue him, I... I felt like there was a lot of telegraphing and just real clear cookie cutter uh, plot progression. Like you knew that first rescue attempt was just going to fail and it was going to be some come down to the the skin of their teeth moment at the end of the episode. And sure enough, that's where we're headed. They go to the power plant. There's a little shootout in front of the power plant um, when Janeway reveals she's a hostage. And Paris takes a takes a space bullet to the gut. You know, he does he does the same level of pain acting that Garrett Wang gave us last episode, you know, just grimacing Good callback, you know, Good holding callback. his stomach like, ah, ah. So even 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 Robert Duck and McNeil can't pull together a, a good pain sequence. He's ah, oh, I'm in so much pain. Captain, go without me. I'm going to hang out with this kid I just met. Good luck. Don't forget me. Don't forget old Tom. And meanwhile, you've got the uh, Scooby squad of the endless Technobabble exposition showing up at the plant in the future, and everything is starting to come to a head. About the time he's getting shot, it's because uh, the terrorists had just approached the front gate of this power plant where there was just a fucking riot there. 
this is about the time that like just a lot of intersection of bads going on in the episode. Like you've got these terrible candy corn outfits, these Kwanzaa shirts. You've got, you know, the, the Starfleet outfits there. Some of the guns are, you know, these futuristic looking space guns and they're using like some pistol. I'm pretty sure that I saw in Goldeneye on 64. Oh yeah, the, uh, yeah, the silver, the DD4 Dostevi or whatever. Oh yeah, that's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And then you know the the scenes they're shooting at are backlot California, made up to look like some sort of security checkpoint. It just looks like a bunch of leftover garbage, all jammed into one episode. Like as soon as they actually breach the facility, now all of a sudden there are what appears to be a Cardassian hallway, uh, where they start trying to do some sort of um, espionage on this. What was this shit called? Oh, Polaris Power Distribution Center. Again, they're shooting this outside this water treatment plant that they use for exterior shots a lot. And it doesn't surprise me that it looks reused. And that's not my problem with it. Everything up to this point has been so fucking lazy for this planet and this alien species that I'm numb to it. I mean, we're about at the end of the episode, so it's been 40 minutes of phoning it in to the maximum degree in terms of the aesthetics. So it's like, yeah, of course this looks like something I've seen before because everything else in this episode either looks like something I've seen before or looks like it was slapped together at the last second, like some sort of this, this looks like the, Oh God, my shit is due fourth period. I've got two (laughs) hours. Uh, fuck. And we spent our whole budget on the warp ripple effect for these, uh, subspace, rescue beacons yeah our, our time space sphincters really ate up our effects budget apparently let me also jump back to so the, the the starfleet crew they're walking around on the surface a thing with no fucks to give about uh these subspace shards floating around the planet surface because torres in 15 minutes was able to whip up these arm beds that are essentially uh you know shark repellent from batman i mean why that just Again, why the fuck didn't anyone think of this shit before you all decide just to roll down there? Like, oh, well, we, we detected all these pol- polaric ions that suggest that this polaric energy might be the cause of this obviously massive explosion of a civil that we detected in this dead civilization we just found. Let's just go down there and be subject to terrible consequences of that before apparently taking some very easy to provide precautions. What a great yeah. fucking idea. They get in this hallway. The uh, terrorists start doing their thing. Janeway hot on their heels with, uh, again, what looks to me like a Veron T disruptor plot from an old TNG episode. She's got a space gun. I, I was going to say it looked like a fucking submachine gun from the Rocketeer, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> she sneaks up on them, and they start having their back and forth about, like, uh, uh, hey, you know, just just everybody stand where you are. Don't do anything. You guys are responsible for the death of the planet. And if we can just make it past this time, everything will be fine. Them laughing at her, her holding them at gunpoint. Uh, if you shoot us with that weapon uh, this close to the proximity of this uh, node, it's going to blow the whole planet up. So she's caught in this, uh, yet again, uh, this this temporal dilemma of, is it going to be actions or inactions on my behalf that caused the downfall of wherever we're at? Okay. I really want to bring us home on the rest of this plot because it fills me with such anger that I, I need I need to express this, Peter. I need you to be part of this with me. Can can you can you do this? Can you be part of this experience? 
I'm stuck in here, man. This is the fucking temporal loop that I'm caught in as well. Okay. I thought for sure that the way this episode was going to end was going to be because we've gotten these teases that Kess could sort of feel Janeway across the temporal divide. Yes. She was going to be the linchpin to say, push her to do a thing. Like, that Kess was going to end up being the critical part of them being able to solve the problem in the end because they had spent so much time hyping her up, hyping up this ability of hers, making her critical to finding out what's going on. I thought for sure it's like, oh, Kess is the thing that doesn't conform the to science. Was awoken. Yeah, she doesn't conform to science. She doesn't conform to temporal mechanics. She seems to transcend the barrier so she can be the clear out to solving a time paradox. Another time paradox. How do they, how do they solve it? They solve it. By Janeway seeing what's about to happen, that the rescue was going to be what causes the explosion. Rolls up to the dude, says Mama needs her Glock, and just shoots the hole and solves the problem. She just shoots it. She just shoots it for like 30 seconds, and then that's it. It's over. Problem is fucking solved. That was 30 seconds of my eyes glazed over thinking like, what if that phaser just ripped through fucking time and started like blasting Chakotay <laughs> or the people standing on the other side and like really caused some shit to go down with this lazy ass plot fix. Uh, really, I'm sitting there the whole time. I'm like, wait a minute. So they're in this like very volatile superpower plant where there's already been some sort of big industrial disaster. Uh, they just murdered guards on a rampage to force entry into this building. They've been dicking around in this little hallway for like 10 minutes. When is the rest of the security force going to show up and just gun everybody the fuck down? And they're going to be what causes this whole thing to fall apart. They're all stunned like deer in headlights as how bad and boring this episode managed to be hot on the heels of a really great episode. So they're just, I think content to sit back and let, um, Janeway phoned in with a, a phaser blast saving the day. Oh, they were all busy trying to cinch up those Kwanzaa corsets, man. I mean, that takes time to get those things on. Ultimately, at the end of this episode, you know, whereas the last temporal episode, they got away with, you know, some stories to tell all the character development that, you know, you kind of see some of these guys. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. There's not really any character development. You just see it's that. Just Tom, uh, just Tom Paris. He's the only Tom one. Just, he doesn't really develop. He's just, you know, showing you, hey, I'm not such a fucking piece of shit. But so she shoots a phaser into this thing. It fucks up the rescue attempt. The subspace ripple rape freedom hole doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, okay, sure. I mean, that's basically, again, just like the last episode before it, you know, parallax or whatever it's okay you gotta force an entry through a hole and whatever anyway so you know she shoots it she saves the day and ultimately the the whole episode just accumulates in a uh you know and it was all a dream which is the worst i think episode resolution for any type of tv show where ultimately nothing you did the entire episode matters at all you're right back where you started and it's just been a waste of everybody's fucking time and here is where Voyager consistently will fail us. They love ship-in-a-bottle episodes. They thrive on ship-in-a-bottle episodes. And this is the, the, the fucking patient zero 
of the concept. It's the perfect example. Literally nothing in the episode happened. Because in the end, Janeway shot it with her space clock. That's how they solved it. That's what happened. There's no explanation for why there was a time paradox. Like, there was no choice that anyone made differently as a consequence of anyone's input that we can see. It's just Janeway just grabbed her fucking, her fucking service nine and shot the problem until it died. And then that was it. Well, some very fast thinking on her had to really, you know, think about all the work that Doc Brown had to put in on that whiteboard in his garage where he's mapping out the space-time continuum. And she's just literally shooting from the hip like, oh, this is how this whole convoluted mess uh, works and this is where I need to take action to prevent all this. And and nobody is any better for any of it except for the, the worst version of Troy, Kess, <laughs> who has mystically, you know, as you said before, she has proven that she exists outside of a, a normal space-time continuum um, not only in her ability to sense people in an alternate past and all this other crap, but she, again, strolls right up on the bridge with no security credentials and nobody gives a fuck and starts making crazy demands like, oh, hey, show me this class M planet and can you can you put it on the screen and all this other shit, like tell them the captain what to do, Janeway obliging her. And she's like, oh, she like throws this knowing look at the planet like, oh, good, all those people are just fine and dandy. Like, you know some shit was up. You know that the crew just went through some sort of traumatic thing. And in my mind, she's proving that she should not be anywhere near these, the, the trust level she has on the ship because she withholds all that information. Yep. <laughs> and that's the end. Thank fucking God. Yeah, this was a terrible episode. It started the first. I was okay for the first 10 minutes. It was a little sloppy, but I, I liked that they really tried to frame, like, this disaster in a way, like, oh, this is some serious shit. They were fucking around some things they shouldn't have fucked around with. You know, Tom trying to get off his shift and go on his hot double date. Um, I mean, there was some stuff going on that I was like, okay, all right. And then it just it just absolutely shits itself. It's just god-awful from, from basically the end of the... Uh, first act on the way to the end it was a fun episode to sit and watch from a hater standpoint where i was like man there's so much bad going on here that i'm gonna really have a lot of things to talk about on the podcast specifically these candy corn outfits uh but i think a lot of it was just so they were so ill-fitting too you could see it on kate mulgrew you could see her her uh body shape wear that she was wearing you could see the edges of it i don't know if you noticed like you could it they were ill-fitting Kwanzaa corsets from the dollar yeah. store. Yeah. Uh, you know, but a lot of the, the shortcomings that I had that I thought were fun were just purely visual in nature. And it, I don't know if that really came across as good laughs here, but just bad writing. And, and uh, again, you, you've writing. got a very polished, very polished product. You know, this isn't the next gen season one moops moments where it's like yeah we didn't know better like you you had next gen you had ds9 you know how to plan a season out and you're gonna go back to back uh effect preceding cause temporal episodes like what the fuck man i know who the fuck plotted that out in terms of the production like 
Did no one notice that they had two scripts that were almost exactly the same in terms of its overriding um, problem in a row? I mean, even if they ended up having to use this damn thing, why the hell didn't they have this happen later on in the season? I mean, it's a ship in a bottle episode. You can literally put it anywhere. But whatever. Thankfully, it's over. We survived. Um, perhaps not with our sanity fully intact, but I am happy to tell you the next episode is much better. Tell me about the next episode, Joe. Uh, it's uh, called Phage. I saw the little icon on Netflix. This is the people who's uh, they're, they're they're like super rotty, like uh, those insurrection guys. Oh, I mean, these guys put the insurrection dudes uh, to shame. They, in my opinion, the Vidians, who are the the alien race that we meet in the next episode, are the coolest Delta Quadrant alien species from my memory. Um, they're definitely the best. They're bad guys, right? Oh yeah, um, mostly. Uh, they are the most uh, the most creepy antagonists. Um, this the definitely where they they spread their wings a little bit and do something different and I like it and the episode itself has got some fucking dark ass shit in it and uh, I'm looking forward to it like it's gonna be a nice like from this cookie cutter 90s TV literal rehash from the week before you know low production grade bullshit we just watched to something that um, at least in my memory and hopefully in practice uh, stood out well I'm hyped for that and I'm hyped for whoever is going to step forward and uh, give us our new show opening with uh, Voyager as <laughs> performed on a recorder. <laughs> I pray and hope to God that we can make that happen. This is part of your, your growth for 2018, Peter. Yeah. Um, uh, practicing for, the recorder. For episode names on this one, I think we should call it uh, The Candy Corn Tragedy. <laughs> that seems like a winner to me. Let me go ahead and close this out here with uh, with another word of wisdom from the rules of acquisition as they relate to uh, time and again. And uh, whereas the crew of Voyager was stupid enough to go to the surface and get knocked back in time to the candy cord tragedy, uh, the rule of acquisition, 285 states, no good deed ever goes unpunished. <laughs> It wasn't even a very good, good deed. Everyone was already fucking dead. You know, that is a terrible rule of acquisition because fucking Janeway didn't try to do anything good until uh, she had a gun to her head. I already used it. It's it's done. 239 off the table. Hey, like the rest of this uh, episode, it's a mistake that we'll never have back. I'm Joseph. I'm Peter. And this has been V'ger Please, a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. Adios. God damn. Holy shit. What fucking garbage.